My name is Tim Freak. I became a philosopher because I'm passionately curious about this mystery we call life. Today I'm on the Isle of Man to talk at the Mindful Man Festival, and I'm taking this opportunity to have a conversation with Steve Taylor, who's also speaking here. Steve is an author and academic who studies transpersonal psychology with a particular interest in the relationship between science and spirituality. Steve, we're, we're on the Isle of Man together. Mm-hmm. We've both been speaking at the Mindful Man Festival. And it's great to have the opportunity to have some of your time. And what this series I'm launching is really about is having the chance to ask a question underneath the fact that you know, you've written books, you've given great thought into the area of an academic. But I want to start our conversation with something which is just human, something which applies to you and me as two people making this journey, some you know, family men, mm-hmm. having lived a life. What, when you wake up in the morning, you know, what, what, what is this, do you think, that we're in? Mm-hmm. What is this experience mm-hmm. we're having? And is there something we should be doing with it for you? Right, wow. Well, it's a glorious experience. Yeah, every day I'm kind of knocked out by the, the, by the wonder of the world and uh, the beauty of nature and the kind of expansiveness expansiveness of of the space around us that we occupy and for me yeah i do feel like there's there's there is something kind of propelling me through this world or propelling or impelling the work that i do a kind of a, a creative impulse you know an impulse to express something that's deep inside me and i think i've been trying to do that trying to do that all my well probably all my life certainly all my adult life i've been trying to bring something into existence to express the certain insights and um, you know it's partly an altruistic urge I feel an altruistic urge to make a, a contribution to the human race in some way to help other human beings to expand themselves and to fulfill their potential yeah I have exactly the same thing and it's interesting that your first response to the question was to go to some well, creativity I guess hmm. there was a I was Recently, I was talking to somebody who was talking about uh, Alfred North uh, Whitehead, mm. who's a philosopher I kind of found interesting, but a little impenetrable. And 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 uh, I became aware of researching him of this that he had invented the word creativity, which I found really yeah. Well, so and he'd done it to describe the very thing you're talking about. That and now, of course, we use it for everything. But mm. but that sense that there was something in inherent to the nature of the universe which was creative which we experience that mm. kind of desire to express something you said deep inside you and i get exactly that mm. as if there's something inherent about what we're in that it's creative yeah well the, the whole universe is a creation isn't it not not necessarily by a, a deity or not by a deity as far as i'm concerned yeah but um it is a, it's a process of um of creation you know it's a slow development a slow forming of consciousness the slow development of consciousness um, new life forms coming into being and we we live that process in our lives don't we 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 create the universe you know we expand the process of creation for our own lives so for you is that so there's two things that you that you that you said both of which are very dear to my heart one was that sense of creativity which is 
you know, I, I know from when we were talking previously that you're a musician. I was a musician. Mm. There's that sort of push to create in that in that way, which is there. And and then that uh, what you call it, altruism or there's that kind of compassion, that desire to contribute, mm -hmm. which is very linked to the creativity in some way. And which I don't know, it feels, feels it's the only thing which really brings meaning, ultimately. Yeah. And I think the really interesting thing about it is that it's kind of it's unconscious you know I don't feel as though it's coming through me it's something beyond me uh -huh. that, that's kind of coming through me maybe you feel the same that and my job is to express whatever that is whatever that is yeah that's know? why I think when it, that's why I picked up on the went to the to the whitehead and this idea of creativity being mm. I mean the, the the word I often use is potentiality so one of the ideas which I was sharing yesterday was the this idea of um, that the whole universe can be seen as the realization of potentiality. There's another way of using mm. its creativity, really. That, that and that <clears throat> the, the, what we're experiencing is we're part of that. And that, yeah, and that when yeah. you when you the more awake you become, or the more conscious you are, the more you, there's that feeling of yeah, I want to express this creativity. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it necessarily has to be say like it. Probably you and I may be similar in that. We'd both be musicians and ended up being writers and I don't think everyone has to do that it doesn't no. but there's still mm. something creative I see you know in my mum who was not like that at all no. but she would she lived a creative life in that she was contributing by the way she lived yeah yeah it's something dynamic you know like the, I like the word dynamism there's a certain dynamic process and I think life becomes most fulfilling when we when our lives also become dynamic not in the sense of being energetic, but in the sense. What do you mean? Uh, say more. Well, in the sense of growing and moving towards, you know, in the sense of not being static, if you like. I think human beings, some of human beings' biggest problems become arise when our lives become completely static, when the urge for growth, the dynamic urge for development, is frustrated. Okay. So if you, if you, I mean, a lot of people work in jobs which are not particularly fulfilling, which are based on repeating the same tasks yeah. day after today. So there's no sense of dynamicness, dynamism in their lives. Yeah. The urge for growth is being frustrated. Yeah. So I think just like, um, you know, all life forms have this urge for uh, further development, to ex for expansion. So one of the one of the philosophical ideas that's been really important to me uh, over this last period is looking at the nature of time and going, look, it's it seems to me that, that, that what has happened is always implicit in the moment everything that's ever happened is implicit in the moment and in that way time hasn't gone anywhere and sometimes I, I, I make up a lot of words just to help myself think mm -hmm. because when there's not something which describes what I'm trying to think then I, I make up a word just for myself to think with mm -hmm. and the word that I started playing with was, was the idea of something I call passivity which is the weight having some sort of um, uh, having, having a weight like a like a like a metaphor of gravity so it's what I'm essentially trying to play with is something quite similar, I think, to Rupert Sheldrake and other people, people like that who've gone. There's a repetition that is linked to the past. That the past is, you know, everything is staying the same, thank goodness, mm -hmm. because it's repeating the past, and uh, and that's a good thing. But it's also a limit, and mm -hmm. that there's a kind of dynamic, a, a, a duality or a polarity in every moment between something creative and something repetitive. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the past which must be the way it is and then this potential, this creativity that could be anything mm -hmm. and, and this moment's that too yeah. and that it's happening on all these levels so that the, the tables on quite a 
repetitive level. It's probably not going to do anything but be a table. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are less repetitive, so I'm doing this, and you don't quite know, well, oh, I did that now. And, mm -hmm. and then there's on this level of the psyche, where we're really having the conversation, it's pretty fluid. It, it really it's pretty creative. It could go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And, the, and the, the dyn maybe that dynamism is the more, the more of the potential that we can bring in, the more possibility yeah. we see. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an opening. I think, you know, truly, highly creative people, their, their psyches are quite kind of labile, they're quite soft, you know, their, their egos, you know, they don't, they don't have strong boundaries. And they allow, you know, the, the labileness of their egos allows kind of transcendent material to flow in. And it is almost as if we're connecting to something larger, something transcendent, which is a source of ideas and insight. And maybe through the process of development, maybe through the process of evolution, this opening becomes wider, you know, the kind of the rigidness of the psyche begins to fade away, the psyche becomes softer, the boundaries of the ego, ego become softer. So there's this kind of opening up to greater potentials, to higher potentials, if you like, from a transcendent source. I, yeah, and I feel that we can apply that almost on a mundane level, whereby the ability to choose in any moment, even if it's not some great creative thing, it's just the ability to choose the right thing to do or whatever. All seems to come from that, that what mm. choosing, what is choosing? It's the ability to see two options in the imagination and go with one of them, mm. I guess, isn't it? And then, so that is the ability to see more options. Yeah. It means it feels like the more, the more you tune into that, that potentiality, the, 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 the creative, part of the universe rather than just the repetitive it feels like you start seeing the level of choice you have that you really can interact mm. with life in in such a creative way yeah well it brings uh, it sort of brings us to the question of free will i mean uh -huh. as you were saying what, what, what's your what's your position on free will <laughs> everyone seems to think it's an illusion you know every scientist i really don't think it's an illusion, I don't think do it's an illusion. no no I don't. A, a lot of you know spiritual teachers a lot of non-duality teachers also oh, think it's an illusion God, i hate that <laughs> i have to be honest with you I but uh, yeah i um I think it's just so ridiculously counterintuitive and so false. I think that free will is uh, the product of evolution. I think the yes. more evolved, yes. the more conscious life forms become, uh, the more free will they develop. I think it's exactly that slip. And I think I think one of the tasks in our lives as human beings is to develop more to develop yes. more free will. Yes. So there are you know there are there are basically there are some people who maybe don't have much free will. They're they're the products of their conditioning, yep. their biology. Yeah. And then maybe they're not much more than that. Yeah. Everything they do is determined by biology or conditioning. But, you know, if you want to become an, an authentic human being, if you want to become a spiritually developed human being, you have to, to some degree, move beyond that, move beyond conditioning, move beyond biology even. You have to develop this capacity to choose a course of action and to mould your own behaviour. So, no, I, I, I think the idea that free will is illusion is a kind of nihilistic, trait of modern science of modern materialism i couldn't agree with you more so the way that i look at that and it can and it and it fits perfectly with our conversation for me the where our conversation has gone because it seems to me there is a creative aspect to the universe which has been mm -hmm. there all the way along which is why it's emergent and it's always new and every moment's new but we've moved in 14 billion years from hydrogen to us having this conversation is that that creativity which has been there all along has has itself evolved and so the thing exactly what you're saying when you home into that creativity that's now free will mm. because we're now conscious of it yeah and it can yeah. throw up options in the imagination and we can choose and 
So the universe is conscious through us and chooses through us, but it can't choose through the water. Mm, it can't yeah, choose through. Yeah. And, and then what science does, it seems to me, the, the great, you know, science is just amazing what it's achieved. And, but it's great error, although it, it is, is reductionism. So that if you then reduce those higher levels, which are where free will exists, mm -hmm. and say that they are really the lower levels, then you, you've, what you've just done is taken the, from the level where there is free will to the level where there isn't. Mm. And the same with, with, with non-dual spirituality. Mm -hmm. If you think that the individual is there, is, it's really all one, rather than it is also all one, <clears throat> and that oneness individuates, and yeah, through the individuated yeah. individual, it has free will and individual creativity. Mm -hmm. Then, but if you deny that, if that's an illusion, mm -hmm. then you've again you've just lost the very place where the free will exists. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's why they both feel like nihilistic to me. Those mm -hmm. two, and they and they, and and both of them do the same thing. It feels like any human inquiry starts from where we started. Mm -hmm. It starts from hey, Steve. You're on this strange journey, you know. You've got your kids, and you're there. what do you think it is? You, you've seen people die. What, that's where we start from. You've got mm -hmm. a story. Uh, mm -hmm. You find life beautiful and hard, like me. What's going on? And then both of them answer those questions by just removing that. Mm -hmm. going, None of that really exists. Yeah. There's just, or there's just all one. It's just all consciousness, or it's all just matter. Mm -hmm. And takes away this bit in the middle where you and I are actually experiencing mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is obviously true on one level, and everything is one. But the fact that definitely, yeah, the fact that everything is one does not, you know, take away the richness of your individual experience. It does not kind of deny uh, the possibility of free will. And then the metaphor I like to use, and it's been used many times before, is that the wave on the ocean. A wave exists as an individual form, but it's also part of the whole ocean it is one it has oneness with the whole ocean it is one with every other wave and the whole of the ocean. except these waves can go do you know what i'm going to go this way <laughs> yeah, that's <right>. <laughs> and that's the key is oh, that i don't it, really exist you know th those those waves can and they can also and i think this is key is you can also and there's been big experiences for me you know the, the, the non-dual insights for real i don't mm -hmm. i know that you can take your attention to the place where there is no separateness mm. yeah and it's a yeah. good thing to do but you can then bring your attention back to the place where mm. there is yeah, I mean, both are both are realities. Separateness yeah. and oneness exist in the same dimension. Like, like the yin yang thing for me. It's like they're yeah. they're, 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 they're not. But but individuality does not entail separateness. The fact that you are individual individual does not mean that you are separate. Yeah, I mean, I, ideally, yeah. you know, you are you the words. Yeah, 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 and then you you are one with every other individual. Yeah. You are one with the whole of yeah. life itself. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it, it, yeah, like like yeah, the wave on the sea is a good example of that. Yeah, I mean, the problem is that a lot of waves forget that they are one with the whole ocean, don't they? They forget that they begin to think that they are purely individual waves. So here's here's the here's purely separate here's waves. the thing that I'm getting a lot, and the more I focused on this evolutionary idea, which I know you have too, the more I want to pick us up on words like forget, because it. So it sounds like we already knew now mm, because of the mm. reincarnation cycle which i actually think is a reality too there i think forget is actually there is some way in which we do forget but there's also a feeling i want it's it's more like it's not that all the waves have forgotten it's like most of the waves haven't found out yet mm. that, that 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 as the evolutionary current goes through more and more waves are going hey i'm the whole ocean rather than they already knew and they've kind of because that mm, has that kind of mm. same negative thing that, that somehow yeah, we all knew so. and then it all went wrong. 
kind of feeling. Yeah, it is a traditional idea, the idea of forgetting yeah. spirituality, the idea that you were one and you were returning it's a to very oneness. Old it's idea. going back home to oneness. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe there there is some truth in it. In the fact that uh, originally, you know, I mean, in my philosophy, you know, everything was originally spirit, or, or I sometimes call it fundamental consciousness. So the whole universe arises from this uh, original spirit or fundamental consciousness, because spirits, spirit has a kind of natural creativity or dynamism, dynamism within it, which naturally produces um, creativity. So it leads to the production of matter. It leads to the evolution of consciousness and the evolution of okay. more so, complex so, material so, forms. So how do you square that? So, so I completely get what you're saying. And mm -hmm. if you went back to just like two or three books for me, I'm saying exactly that. But more, more and more I'm not. And the reason I'm not is I've become uneasy about conflating the concept of spirit, potentiality, creativity, whatever you want to give to that formless potential with the idea of consciousness and i know that's a very strong old idea but it's really an indian <clears throat> idea isn't it you you know in the west i conflated it in my work mm -hmm. spirit and consciousness but you don't find that in the western tradition really that's a that's come across from advaita vedanta and, and eastern traditions mm -hmm. the the idea of it or, or actually it's come across in the translations of those words mm -hmm. Bec and the reason i feel uneasy about it is because it feels like philosophically we we're in danger of slipping in things that don't belong at the beginning mm, because mm. when i when i actually use the word consciousness i mean this bit of reality <clears> that i'm <throat> conscious of and there's a whole load that i know i'm taking in which is unconscious and like you know jung's thing that the consciousness yeah. is like a, a very small part of the soul riding on this vast unconsciousness mm -hmm. and then suddenly we put consciousness at the beginning and it feels like this is a dangerous yeah, thing to well, do well let's forget the word consciousness let's say okay. let's say spirit spirit i'm, I'm fine spirit. with it because it but it's key there is a key that mm. it's like if it, because it, it means that for me the beginning isn't conscious that's yeah. the point i mean it's yeah. going to become conscious yeah i, I agree yeah, there is a sort of trend in, in modern philosophy, like that panpsychism, to say that consciousness is something fundamental. So See, again, I think that's that. There's a difference for me between saying subjectivity mm, mm. arises immediately. It's not like well, there's just dead matter, and then what do you know? Suddenly, from nowhere, subjectivity arises. I can see the way I've ended up thinking about it is that once you've got some, once things individuate as forms, once so once spirit which is very much, I think, in line with your thought. Once spirit mm. is, is realizing its creativity and it, and, it and it becomes individuated, that individual thing, although it's part of the whole, it has a relationship with the whole as an individual and that's subjectivity. Mm -hmm. So uh, chemicals have got individual subjective relationships, electrochemical relationships. Mm -hmm. And that subjectivity, once it becomes a biological entity will become sentient and will have a sentient relationship yeah. and then once that becomes origin of psyche that will have a conceptual relationship so that the subjectivity and the objectivity are evolving side by side mm, yeah i agree mm -hmm. and that will become conscious but mm. rather than it being like well it's already conscious yeah. well yeah i mean with the, the panpsychists believe that it's a way of kind of uh, getting around the problem of how consciousness could emerge from matter yes i mean the, the standard you know, the standard, standard materialistic view of consciousness is that somehow it emerged from matter yeah, yeah. when matter reached a certain level of complexity. Yeah. But there are all kinds of reasons why that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. You know, it's like a magical trick, you know, conscious, the, yeah. you know, the, the, it's like water turning into wine. So at a certain point, hey presto, you know, the magic takes place and consciousness comes into being. So panpsychism suggests that 
you know, that's, that's not a problem because consciousness was always in matter. Every atom uh, right from the beginning of the universe had a certain kind of proto-consciousness, a tiny glimmer of consciousness. But, um, but, but that's not really my perspective anyway. Um, my perspective is that you know, spirit pre-existed the universe, yep. uh, pre-existed matter. And because of this dynamic quality within spirit, matter came into being and matter became more and more complex. Yep. And at a certain point of complexity, matter or organizations of matter became able to canalize uh, spirit within themselves, which became our... We're able to canalize. Canalize. Or you could say channel, or you could say that you know, they, were, they were able to transmit spirit within themselves. Maybe that's, you know, the first cellular creatures, the first amoeba, maybe the first amoeba, maybe that's what happened then, that they became able to transmit spirit within their own individual beings. So they became conscious living entities. And as living beings become more complex, as they move through evolution into more and more organized forms, they develop more and more, you know, a higher ability to channel spirit within themselves. So we become more sentient, more alive, more conscious. We have more experience and finally we develop free will towards the you know the higher end of evolution so yeah as living beings become more complex they also be become able to canalize spirit within themselves more intensely and they become more alive and and there's a process of spiritualization you could say i know tyler de chardin you know the french philosopher so he talked about spiritualization so yeah. i think that's you know that's been happening since the beginning of evolution physical complexity moves along with um, increased sentience and increased consciousness. So I think probably I'm trying to explore something very, very, very similar. Um, and I'm happy with the word spirit. I use the word spirit just because it's, I, I think of it as potentiality. Um, Whitehead's idea of creativity is also good. Being is good. It, it, but it's something for me, it's like, okay, if you're going to put something before the, the, the realm of form, it's formless mm -hmm. and it's timeless. <clears throat> And it's so it has no form. It has nothing you can say about it. It's un. Mm. So it's un. So it's unconscious because it's on everything. It has no form. But it's the potentiality for everything <clears throat> which will arise, and then that process is happening. So <clears throat> the way that I would tend to language it, I think, would be that spirit is that formless potentiality is actually manifesting itself. So it's not being channeled by it. it is it? It's the other side of it. Yeah. But where I mm -hmm. get what you're saying, because I was working with it, trying to think, okay, mm. what's Steve getting at here, was that what you're saying also resonates for me because of the, where we started the conversation, which is the more, if, if, this, if in this flow of time, for me, it's this time stream of realization of form from the formless and timeless potentiality, which is always both here right now, mm -hmm. that individuating into something which is individual in relationship to the whole, so you've got object and subject, that for me will become, that is what's evolving in tandem, that will become sentience, that will become consciousness. Mm -hmm. So it hasn't come from matter, it's come from the, 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 the evolving subjectivity. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what I liked about the idea of the, the channeling though is, that, is the very thing that the, the, the more that happens, the more the potentiality the more the more access to the potentiality how can i say this the more mm. creative it, the universe can be the reason that it's exponential 
The mm. reason that now it's on this non-material <laughs> level of psyche is, and it's like literally, like 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 we're having this conversation. It's utterly new. We've never said these things before. No. That that's the level of creativity that mm. happens once you reach soul. Yeah. It's not the level once you've just got basic matter. It's like that you can pretty much map out how it's going to work, and 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 that that's happening because the level of the formless potentiality to affect things is increasing, increasing, and that's where the free will comes in, which is mm. why when you've got animate mm. life, it's it has got more of what you said, spirit. It's got more creativity, so yeah. in that way, it is yeah. channeling it, and I can mm. get what you're saying. Mm. Is that is that kind of the intuition? Kind of, yeah. It's an opening. It's an expansion. I think the the whole of evolution can be seen as an expansion of consciousness uh, or maybe an expansion and an intensification of consciousness um, and the interesting thing for me is that I see spiritual development as a continuation of that process yeah I think that when we engage in spiritual practices yeah. and spiritual paths we are in a, in a strange way engaging in self-evolution yeah. and continuing the whole evolutionary process because we're we're opening further we're expanding consciousness further yeah so I see spiritual awakening as uh, an expansion and intensification of consciousness on, yeah. on many different levels. So there's, there's a kind of subjective expansion where you go deeper into your own being and realize deeper levels of your own self. There's the expansion of uh, intersubjectivity, increased connection with other people. Uh, there's an intensification of perception where the world becomes more real and more vivid and more beautiful. So there's there's a kind of an expansion happening on many different levels. And it is this, exactly the same as the whole of evolution, the whole of evolution has also been an expansion of consciousness. So that's why, you know, it's such an interesting period that we're living in because there are so many people engaging in spiritual practices, following spiritual paths, and they're all contributing to the process of evolution in a, in a way which has never been done before. You know, the, this whole process of, you could call it conscious evolution, which is like the, the spearhead of the whole evolutionary process. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to find out where it's heading, you know, in the next few decades it, and centuries. It, it's an incredible idea, isn't it, that? Um, I think it was, it was, I think it was one of the Huxleys that said it first. I can't remember. Yeah. Was it, was it, that, that idea yeah, that, that Julian Huxley, was it Julian Huxley? Evolution. Yeah, yeah, it was the idea that, you know, it's just such a, I mean, the idea of the whole universe evolving is massive, mm. beyond massive, isn't it? But the idea of getting the fact that in this conversation, the universe is consciously reflecting on its own evolution mm -hmm. and how to engage with it is, yeah. is a stunning idea. Mm, <laughs> and the, yeah, that's amazing. what we're, that's what we're doing now. Yeah. And where, and then the idea that we can choose consciously where we want that, you know, that we are the universe now for the, the, all, the, the whole process before has been sublime, but unconscious because it hasn't been available to it and, mm. and now mm. we can start to through conceptualizing it using the imagination mm. we can actually consciously open up to its own depths yeah and that's why you know we were talking earlier about the idea of going back home or returning yeah. or forgetting so in that sense i think it is applicable because we are returning back to the original source yes spirit is opening itself we further are and further we, i think it's exactly right mm. but we you know to use the the line that a beautiful the Elliot line which is very famous mm. knowing it for the first time you come yeah. back to where you started so so the, the 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 underlying myth that I uh located in Gnosticism which I think is not just Gnosticism it's a perennial myth but when I kind of came back so then now we're now in pre-science pre-evolution all that mm -hmm. it seemed to me that the underlying myth was unconscious oneness through conscious individuality to conscious oneness mm -hmm. which was a both and state 
which was both individual and consciously one at the same mm, time. Mm. And that felt like, God, that's, a, that's, the, that's the movement. There's a movement between, and, that, and each, each one of us takes that. Literally, as we come in as a human being, we take mm. that same journey, and that the whole universe, and then the, the scientific myth came along, and I started really plugging into that. Going, this is the same journey. Mm. So in that way, it feels like, so the, the, the potentiality, whatever any spirit, let's call it spirit, is arising as everything, individuating, exploring itself in all these different ways. And through us, it has reached the point where it's conscious, where it has the, the psyche, the imagination, soul, and then it can take attention, which it now has, and place it on its deep being and realize, oh, I'm this. Mm, and so that mm. through us it's knowing itself so in one way it is coming back because it's coming back to where it's all come from yeah but yeah. it's but it's actually the end of the story not the beginning that it's that it's doing that yeah that's true i think even within our own individual lives that's also applicable yes. yeah with our journey from birth to through childhood into adulthood yeah and towards death i mean the, there are, this is something i've covered a lot in my own work my own research there are there are a number of parallels between the, the state of young children, yeah. the way that they perceive the world, the way that they experience reality, and the spiritually awakened state. You know, on, on a basic level, there are certain parallels like uh, the sense of presence, intense nowness of young children, and the lack of boundary between self and the environment. So the young people, young children feel a sense of participation, which we generally lose as adults. And also the freedom from the past and the future, freedom from psychological attachments, and so on. But as we become adults, we, we move out of this kind of um, childhood state, we develop a sense of separation, we start to live in the past and future, we develop, we pick up psychological attachments, so we lose the, you know, the characteristics, the spiritual qualities of childhood. So in a sense... So for me, <laughs> I want to say... I know what you're going to say. What am I going to say? Go you're going to say that it's a... Well, no, you tell me what you're going to say. <laughs> I, well, I, well, see, my feeling is, that's good. We should yeah. lose them. Mm. And what strikes me about kid, I mean, I can remember looking into the eyes of my little girl when they first opened, the moment they opened, and it's, you know, and you're looking into the depths of life itself. It's like, mm -hmm. there's the Buddha. Who doesn't look at that? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. wow. But she doesn't know that. Yeah. She's unconscious. Now, mm -hmm. she'll come in and live in the moment, but she can only live in the moment because I'm not living in the moment. Mm -hmm. I'm busy not living in the moment. Yeah. So she can live in the moment. Mm hmm and I and you know and I have to make sure everything's okay so that she can just be here now so it feels to me like the place then what I want to arrive at is a both and place where I've got that quality of I can <clears throat> especially and having kids teaches you that doesn't it what yeah. the kids mm. want it feels to me is me to be able to meet them mm. in the moment going I'm right here with you but also I'm aware of danger I'm aware of the time I'm aware of the yeah well I, I agree completely yeah. yeah I mean I think there are so many I mean I'm not saying that we should all return to the state of being young children yeah that'd be Cause, ridiculous cause adults, adults who are in the moment are a pain in the ass really well, they can be <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah obviously if we return to that young children the world being in complete chaos you know We'd all be fighting uh, over bits of food. <laughs> We'd all be screaming about the most trivial things, you know. Um, so we, we don't want to do that. But, you know, and obviously, as we become adults, we, we gain so many psychological benefits. Well, look, just, just that thing. Let me just, just pick up on that for a moment, because it's really interesting, isn't it? Because that's the key, isn't it? The thing, and this is what's missing sometimes with the kind of be in the moment thing. When you see kids, and they definitely are babies, they're really in the moment. Mm -hmm. And they're, it's either heaven or hell, isn't it? I mean, if, if you mm. or I... If I had indigestion now and started shouting my head off and rolling mm. around, being like, oh, Christmas, what's happening with Tim? But that's what a baby would do yeah. because it's not in time. Whereas if I have it, I can just go, hang on, this will pass. 
Mm, yeah, that's true. It's going to yeah. wait for a bit. Or I just stub my toe. It's like, what do you do with a kid? It'll pass. Hold on. I know it'll pass. And then mm. it does. So you and and it, there's a gain when we come out. Yeah, it's just true. that there's a loss mm. too. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember one of my kids saying once, uh, he was really upset. He was about five years old at the time. He was really upset about something. But it was Christmas Eve. So I said, don't worry, it's Christmas Day tomorrow. And he said, but it's not Christmas now. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make Brilliant. any difference. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, yeah, yeah. I, know, I know exactly what you mean. But, yeah, it's a, but it's an integration. I think spiritual yeah. awakening, spiritual development is, to an extent, it is a recapturing of some of those qualities of childhood. But it's yeah. a combination. You integrate those qualities, that sense of presence, that sense of um, oneness with yeah. the world around you, uh, that sense of freedom from psychological attachments, uh, that sense of openness and curiosity and vivid perception. So you regain those qualities and you combine them with all the benefits of being an adult, with the, yeah. you know, the, uh, the practical yeah. abstraction, you know, the ability to think logically, to you know, to delay gratification. Yeah. So the the ideal is to combine both. You know, yeah. So you realise you don't have to stay. lose that to have this. Exactly, actually, yeah. they coexist. I can feel them both now. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, a lot of people don't recapture those things. They remain in an adult state of I separation. Know, it gets very cold and dry mm. and black and white. And... Yeah, and they get to the you know, the point of midlife crisis where they realise that yeah, the life they've been living is unfulfilling. And, mm. and sometimes they move towards spirituality or self-development. They, they move inside. Or sometimes they, you know, buy material possessions, buy a sports car to try to, you know, compensate for it. But... I think a lot of people do realise eventually that there is something missing, that they do feel alienated, they miss that sense of connection they had as children, and you know, in some ways, hopefully that they'll move back towards that. I do that stuff. Do you do you do live? Do you do work with people in terms of actual, you know, groups of people doing stuff together? And yeah, I do, I do workshops. Workshops mm -hmm, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I experience in those that I do, which has been a big focus for me over the years, is exactly that. Everyone comes like a little child. And because, mm. again, it's all laid on. If I create a safe space, I don't have to worry about food, they've got accommodation, mm. you know, there's a good show, <laughs> everything. Yeah. And, and they can just like, and then suddenly they're like kids together and it's a delight in being and this mm. natural love arises. Yeah. And it's like, okay, till you have to go home, you can just remember how mm. good it feels to be. Yeah. And this natural flowing of love. And I think that's a big thing we need to do is create those spaces where yeah. as, as grown-ups yeah. we can just mm. meet in that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I do something similar in workshops. I sometimes say that I, I mention the parallels between spiritual awakening and the childhood state. Yeah. And I say, you know, in a few seconds, we're going to return to the state of being young children. And I say that we're going to recap try to recapture that kind of direct, immediate perception that young children have. Yeah. So it means sort of bypassing concepts and labels. So yeah. no normally when we look at an object or we experience a phenomenon, we mentally label it straight away unconsciously. You know, we say that's a glass. Uh, that's a person, that's flowers, trees. And the process of mental labelling obscures the reality of the phenom phenomenon itself. So if you can bypass that process of mental labelling and just focus directly on the object or phenomenon, then you can sort of re-experience the childhood perception. And, you know, we work through different senses. We work through touch, exploring objects, then through sights and sound and so on. And then most people are able to sort of glimpse that, you know, that kind of direct immediate perception again. And it's always there, you know, we can, in theory, we should be able to switch into that mode at any moment. You know, it's always there. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree with you totally. Mm -hmm. um, so the underlying idea which I use there, I think, in the philosophy is, is this the thing I call paralogical thinking, which is both and thinking. So rather than being just always that, is it this or is it this? Mm -hmm. And what come out in that conversation about childhood as 
has probably underlined everything actually, is, is I find it really helpful with people where I can go, it, it, it won't be that you'll just be a child. Mm. It's actually you will be both. Yeah, and you yeah. can be both, and you know you can be both. Mm -hmm. So that 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 ability, you know, it's because a, a lot of the when when spirituality, it's a bit like when I hear people, this constantly a be in the moment thing, and and people struggle with it because it's impossible, and undesirable. Mm. People who live in the moment can't remember. I mean, it's an awful mm -hmm. state to be in. Yeah, you know, yeah, terrible. Exactly. But mm. if it's like, well, but you can be both. You can actually have that awareness of, of course, you're in time and there's movement and you're thinking and you want that. Mm. But also, ooh, breathing right now. Mm. Meeting mm. Steve right now. Wow, mm. there's an, an immediacy to that, which isn't in my vision of how we might be tomorrow, which is just not, you don't want to miss that, the mm. life which you, you don't want to miss the meal because you're thinking about the meal. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that, that both and really mm. seems helpful to me. Yeah, I sometimes say to people, uh, sometimes in my workshops or lectures, I talk about spiritual awakenings, that spiritual experiences, like temporary spiritual experiences, when we, we feel a sense of connection with the world around us, we feel a sense of expansion, a sense of meaning and harmony, and so we become aware of deeper aspects of our own being. And I say to people, you know, is it possible to live in this state all the time? Is it possible to live in a permanent state of spiritual awakening? And they, they usually say, no, no, because, you know, you know, what do you do when you need to drive your car? You can't be aware of the oneness of the universe where you need to overtake on the motorway. Or, you know, what about when you need to pay your bills or do your job? But the point is that even if you are in a state of spiritual awakening, you don't have to be in a constant state of oneness. Sometimes you do need to focus on everyday practical matters. So you should be able to use your attention to focus on what's what what is necessary what needs to be done and once it's done you can if you like you can shift back into that awareness of oneness that sense of inner bliss is always there but you don't have to live in it maybe that's one of the differences between adults and children that we do as adults have this yeah. capacity to focus our attention to concentrate and to edit out you know exterior phenomenon if they're not necessary so i, I had this little this is quite recent actually steve i'm always looking at language and uh, I caught myself and I was talking about becoming more conscious as I've done forever. And I suddenly thought, what, what does that mean, being more conscious? Because actually, when I'm more conscious, I'm more conscious now than when I was asleep. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. at night I get tired, you know, if I'm ill, I'm less conscious. It seems like it's more to do with energy. Mm. And then I thought, what I'm really talking about, it feels like it's not being more conscious, but being conscious of more. Mm the ability to be able to put my attention in places I couldn't put them before. Mm. So that I have, mm. I'm, when I'm conscious of more, I can go, oh yeah, there's the formless oneness, my goodness. Mm. And then I can come back here and then go, right, we need to clear up this. And, and, the, and, and the, there's a fluidity and an ability to move to these places because I'm conscious. And when I, and the same in my, when you did that lovely thing earlier where you went, um, you, you know, you, the, the, the colors turn up and, the, and you're more aware of this and you're more creative in this. And mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, I'm, it, there's a I'm I'm conscious of more th more things and and, and I'm, I can go into them and I can yeah. move around. I'm not limited to this little box. I'm, mm. I'm constantly pushing it. And then in myself, oh, I've learned things about Tim, his mm -hmm. passivity, his habits that don't serve him. I, I yeah. see those. I, I'm co more conscious of Tim now than I was. Thank goodness. Still mm. feels pretty unconscious often, but <laughs> uh, you know. And that so yeah. That, yeah, I mean, maybe I mean, they're also you know in addition to the parallels between childhood and spiritual awakening there are some parallels between psychosis and spiritual awakening 
you know, one of the symptoms of schizophrenia is very intensified perception. Yeah. An awareness that, or a sense that the whole world has become alive in some way, that objects become living beings. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Yeah, and that, and that okay. kind of, yeah. I think that's really interesting. And, and something I wrote a little bit about in one of my, uh, in the mystery experience, Deep Awake, a few books back. I, I, through my own personal experience, mm -hmm. not, what, not to me personally, but people around me, close to me, I just became aware that that a lot of the things I was describing as this that I was around people who were experiencing what I was experiencing as oneness and and, and love as terrifying depersonalization. Mm, yeah. And where I was going, oh, it's good if I can be conscious of my breath, it really helps. And they were telling me, I can't stop thinking about my breath; it's awful. Mm, yeah. And so I became aware. And then more and more, it felt like, oh, well, you had this insight years ago, but. The, the, the a lot of things that are in the same bracket as mysticism are pathological mm. and in trying to understand when they were pathological and when they weren't as a massive um, generalization it felt like it was when there wasn't the both and that when people had drifted off into this yeah, yeah. that was the that mm. right from kind of that what gets bypassing as it gets called now that kind of quite benign but mm -hmm common thing right through to psychosis or that was when and that often that the, the, the what i became aware of I'm trying to spit this out is that with some people needed to wake up to spirit mm, and mm. then other people needed to come into individuality they needed to yeah, really exactly. develop a strong mm, ego exactly. base from which to wake yeah, up yeah i mean for me this it kind of impinges on the whole topic of the ego and the spirit, you know, some spiritual traditions say, or spiritual teachers say that you need to destroy the ego in order to become awakened and that the ego is the biggest obstacle to spiritual awakening. And I think in a sense that's true, but in a sense it's also dangerously false Yeah. because the people who don't have any sense of self, the people who don't have any egos are the psychotic people. Yeah. And I think in spiritual awakening, you need to have some sense of an organized identity in order to process and integrate what's happening to you. I mean, in my research is as a interest-person psychology, I found that um, in many cases when people undergo a very sudden and dramatic spiritual awakening, usually caused by intense psychological turmoil, like bereavement or a diagnosis of cancer, it is often quite uh, turbulent. The, the actual process of awakening can be quite disturbing and turbulent. It can even resemble psychosis in some cases, so there's, because it's so dramatic and there's a sense of new energies being released inside you and your memory may be disturbed, your concentration may be disturbed, you may lose that sense of being able to function in the world, you, your capacity to interact with other human beings. So sometimes it is misdiagnosed as psychosis by unknowing psychiatrists, unfortunately. But the people who are able to negotiate that process best are the people who do have a sort of stable sense of identity. Yeah. They have an integrated sense of self. Yeah. So in that sense, the self is not an obstacle, it's actually a, a big benefit foundation mm. I, I think. yeah it's a question of harmony isn't it harmony between the self and the spirit or yeah you know. yeah or, or or just levels of emergence that it's like once you reach the point where there's a, uh, a an individuated soul that's a foundation from which you can wake up to realizing that, you, that you're the whole thing you're the universe mm. if you don't then this thing becomes more and more encrusted and then you get egotism you get everything's about me mm. and that can inflation and all the rest of it but but the, if it's a foundation mm -hmm. and 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 well, well, that intrigued me about studying the mystery experiences in the ancient world and kabbalah and all those things was how many of them 
were going, well, you don't really study that level of transcendence until you're 40. Mm, yeah. Because then you're in the world, you've got a family, you've right. developed your separate self, you've got mm -hmm. a set, and once you've done that, then you can, or talking to my kids, and as they're getting older and going, look, you know, my advice to you, having done everything, is don't take psychedelics too early. <laughs> because don't develop it, you don't want to take the, destroy yourself, or yeah. not destroy it, but you don't want to dismantle your sense of self until you've got one. Mm. Because that yeah, will lead you to yeah. problems. Mm. I mean, interestingly, I did a, a PhD on studying cases of spiritual awakening. So I studied 25 cases of spiritual awakening. I looked into a number of different factors, like the age at which it happened. Uh -huh. you know, you, mostly, in most cases, a sudden and dramatic spiritual yeah. awakening. And the average age was about 33. Yeah. So he wasn't too young, you know. But I think yeah. in many cases, it was people who had developed a, a sense of self before. Yeah. yeah. They underwent the process of awakening. It feels healthier. I mean, I was very young. I was, you know, twelve, so mm. it was completely different for me. But mm -hmm. and 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 there was a price for that. Actually, yeah. it wasn't psychosis in my sense because I had a strong sense of self. Mm. There was a price in the world. Yeah, I, I didn't belong I mean, in the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make it difficult to function. I mean, I've, I what struggled what for happened years. For you? What happened for you? When was it for you? Well, for me. Um, it was kind of innate. At the age of 16 or 17, okay. I started to have spiritual experiences, no, but similar. I didn't know they were spiritual experiences. Yeah. I thought there was something wrong with me. And I even tried to tell my parents about it, which was a big mistake. Oh, really? I heard my dad, uh, I was walking upstairs one night, I heard my dad say to mum, what's wrong with our Stephen? You know, oh, no. Should we see, should we take him to a doctor? And I thought, oh no, I'm not going to talk to them about it anymore. So it took oh, me a long Stephen, time. That's terrible. That must have <laughs> been horrible. I know, but that's the way it was. Um, so it took me five or six years to understand the experiences. It was only once I stumbled on spiritual books, or maybe I didn't stumble on them, maybe I was drawn towards them. Yeah. And I felt, I did feel instinctively drawn to meditation and yeah. spiritual books. Yeah. And then, you know, when I read, I remember reading an anthology of mysticism. It was by F.C. Happold, a study. It was called Mysticism, a Study and an Anthology. And I picked up this book at um, my local bookshop. And when I read the experience, I thought, yeah, this is the kind of experience I've been having. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Thought, so I'm not crazy at all. Maybe I'm crazy, but all these other people are crazy, crazy too. <laughs> so I'm not alone, at least I'm not alone in my craziness. Yeah. So things began to make a lot, a lot more sense. I realized that, you know, what I was having were spiritual experiences. And from that point on, I understood myself, but it, there were still difficulties in trying to function in the world. You know, this sort of everyday stuff like... Yeah finding a job or yes. talking to other people yeah. uh, going shopping <laughs> so I did I, for a long time I found it really difficult to function in the ordinary world even like social interactions I couldn't have spoken to you now like this you know oh, really okay. um, 30 25 wow, years ago wow. I found it really difficult to speak you know like the social rules of um, etiquette and conversation I just took me a long time to learn them properly but it was, it was also because of the kind of lifestyle I was living a very kind of isolated reclusive lifestyle you know a bit of a kind of monkish lifestyle yeah until I, you know, became a musician and got involved in a kind of hedonistic lifestyle. But yeah, it, it, it does make life difficult. You know, you have to go through this process of integration and you have to learn how to... It's, it's easy for other people to learn how to function in the world. It seems to be One of the things automatic. I always noticed when I was... Uh, when it was because, you know, different, but some similarities for sure. That kind of feeling of, no, I don't belong here. Um, was that the, the people who were influencing me at the time, the you know, like Ram Dass and... Uh, Alan Watts and all sorts of people. A lot of these people, they were very established in the world when they woke up. Mm, they were professors yeah. and mm. doctors, and and it didn't, you know, it happened then. So they were established in the world, and then they woke up, and then they were established in the world in a new way. Whereas a, as a as a kid, sort of waking up too 
not too early because it, mm. it was fine, but nevertheless early, there was like, wow, this is, how do you relate to any of this? Mm -hmm. Now you see this and I hear that. In did you tell your parents about it? Um, yeah, I did kind of, but I don't have much memory of that. My parents were quite easygoing about all this sort of stuff, really. Mm. I think they just let me be me and, and it poured out into creativity in my case. And, Right. And, and I just and I think probably I was blessed with a strong sense of self mm -hmm. because I, I was I had immense it just filled me with confidence I felt I could do anything mm. and just mm. launched into what oh, I thought I could mm. do so yeah so I kind of had that I maybe maybe I had a strong nice strong ego <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, yeah, which I'm sure was also a pain in the ass but was mm -hmm. also maybe, maybe a benefit as well yeah I think it took me a long time to to develop an ego or develop yeah. a sense of self or yeah. at least an integrated functioning yeah. sense of self yeah it probably didn't really happen until you know my late 20s yeah. 28 29 that's when I thought oh you know maybe I can live in the world after all maybe maybe I can stay here and make a contribution you know that was when I sort of moved beyond confusion and depression so I mean all the time I was having these spiritual experiences for a long time I did also feel quite alienated and depressed and you know until until I reached that point of integration well I'm very glad you did <laughs> me so, too so it feels like a place we should just maybe sort of bring this conversation to its fruition it, it feels like well okay it's a bit of a jump but I, I want I just want to mention death because it feels like well, oh, okay. that, well that's where we're heading <laughs> one way or another and I just we talked about life and creativity and well, lots of stuff really didn't we I'm just wondering what your thoughts are personally when you contemplate death. Mm. Well, I've always um, spent a lot of time contemplating death, Me certainly too. from the age of 16, 17. Yeah, mm. I remember being at the age of 16, becoming aware of death and thinking about suicide. You know, at any moment I'm free to commit suicide. Yeah. It kind of really knocked, kind of blew my mind that yeah. I had this potential to end my existence. There's choice. Mm. And I became aware that, you know, the, you know death is... Uh, it follows, follows us wherever we go every day in our lives. It's always a potential um, event. So, so on the one hand, for me, contemplating death is actually quite um, useful. Um, I actually enjoy contemplating death because it makes me aware of the preciousness of the present moment, the preciousness of my life. It gives me a sense of motivation because, you know, I feel I'm only here for a certain amount of time. I could be taken away at any moment, so I have to fulfill my role, I have to make my contribution. So it gives me that sense of motivation. But at the same time, and I think this is what you believe too, uh, or, or sense, I sense that death is probably not the end, that there is some kind of continuation. And I don't really know what it will be, but I do sense stronger that there is some kind of continuation. I think death is a kind of adventure. In a strange way, I'm actually looking forward to it. <laughs> I don't want to die, you know, for a good while yet, but when it comes, hopefully, you know, I will embrace it and accept it. And, you know, I will, I'm sure I will go on an interesting journey. Well, what, what do you think? I feel the same, Steve. It feels, uh, you know, the resonance which has come out as we've talked about our early years is, is extraordinary because that's exactly, you know, that's uh, it's always been with me. Always, every day. Mm, mm. Um, you know, Plato's line, philosophy is a meditation on death. And just, yeah. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's the way it is. Um, and the way that that can either take all value away from life and leave you with nothing or give it the ultimate value, depending mm. on where you stand mm -hmm. with it. And having been around death a lot and worked with the dying for a while, and uh, it feels like death is, a, is a, a really significant 
moment and uh, that well from the way I've ended up seeing it right now is that I'm experiencing already another realm I'm in it the whole time this mm -hmm. this non-material realm of soul and I think the ancient teaching is is right which is simply that 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 dream reality that I'm in continues and mm -hmm. which is why what I hear from people who've had near-death experiences which I haven't had although I've had very similar experiences mm -hmm. not near-death ones is is so dreamlike but not dreams as in something again not not in the reductionist way in which they're nothing in which they're irrelevant in which they're lesser yeah maybe actually a dream that is which is in some way more real than ordinary reality I think so mm -hmm. and and I think we can touch on that now and yeah and that seems to be what people describe and that resonates for me and the biggest thing that resonates from the awakening experience is this sense of the the love light the sense that there is something mm. that that same potentiality and creativity and spirit that we've been talking about the whole way through the conversation mm -hmm. is there waiting and yeah the experience yeah. of death mm. is an experience of love mm. yeah i agree yeah certainly uh, in deep states of meditation you know two or three times in my life in a really deep set of meditation I feel as though I've touched on something timeless, something eternal, mm. something beyond the body, yeah. which will continue yeah. when the body, not necessarily me as I appear to be now, yeah. something more essential and more fundamental. Yeah, I guess mm. I, I, my, my, the place I've gone is that it's actually something very you, it feels to mm. me. That mm. It's not, not just like some essence, some abstract thing, but actually the very story that Steve, which is a part of a much bigger story, Mm -hmm. of which Steve is a fragment a bit like every every time you've dreamed at night you've been a different Steve but they're all part of this Steve in the mm -hmm. same way that this is a this is a part of a of a soul current which is much bigger yeah and Tim is also but that well my mum died and I had a very powerful encounter with her six months after she died which is not like anything I ever had it was exactly like that and what was nice about it though is it felt although there was something much bigger than my mum <clears throat> it was still my mum it was that individuality, that particularness wasn't irrelevant, it wasn't wasted, it wasn't gone. It was just as even more special mm, and treasured. Mm, yeah. And, and and all the accumulated past was there. Mm -hmm. that, that everything she'd been was part of what she is. Yeah. And, yeah, I, and that was sense. and that was a beautiful Yeah, similar to the to the life review which sometimes exactly, happens. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. All the significant it's experiences all of your life which all there. which become you who you are at this yeah, moment. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's interesting that there, there's a lot of research in science which suggests that there is a life after death. You know, the, yeah. there's the evidence from reincarnation, studies of reincarnation, yeah. uh, evidence from near-death experiences, yeah. from, you know, uh, laboratory experts with mediums, the sort of highest level mediums do seem to genuinely make contact with deceased people. The near-death experiences where people meet deceased relatives, sometimes they didn't even know they were dead, deceased relatives. So, yeah, I think, you know, even from a scientific point of view, there is significant evidence in addition to the kind of the sense, the inner sense, which we have as well. So the place where I, I uh, love what you're doing in the world and in which I you know, applaud and respect everything you're contributing is that I feel like you are part of the, the movement, which I would also like to be part of, which is bringing in a new narrative. And, mm. um, which can bring together science, bring together spirituality. Because if we lived in a world where this was part of the intellectual mainstream, that we understood death in that way, I think society and everything in it would just change dramatically. And 
So yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think you know, one of the issues with materialism is that it creates a kind of background sense of nihilism. Exactly. And a sense that you know we're just biological machines. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's no purpose or meaning yeah. to our life. So yeah. what are we, we going to do? Just have a good time, just enjoy ourselves, just yeah. buy as many things as we can, and yeah. it doesn't really matter what we do if we abuse or exploit other people. Yeah. Who cares? So yeah, it creates that whole sort of you know sense of meaninglessness, existential vacuum, you could call it. Yeah. Whereas this kind of worldview imbues life with meaning and yeah. it gives us a, a kind of um, responsibility and a desire to be altruistic and to contribute to the world and to to evolve, to spiritually develop in our own lives, to actualize our potential. Well, that's a beautiful line, I think, to, to draw this conversation to a close. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. It's, been, it's been a really... Really yeah, nice I'd enjoy to, it, thank you. To get to know your soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, likewise.